Thank you, Amy and Evan, for blessing the room with that. Good morning, friends, and welcome to our 8.30 service. Uh, it's good to be together in God's house. Welcome to those of you in the room, those of you joining us online. I bet some of you uh, seize the opportunity of online to protect yourself from the cold, and somebody coming in asks if you got extra credit for braving the cold. My answer is, depends on where you're from. If you're from Minnesota, no. If you're Louisiana, sure, yes. Anyhow, it's good to be together in God's house on this day. Welcome. Uh, my name is James Howell, and I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Nathan Arledge. Uh, as James has said, it is good to be in this place together, in this space where we can draw our hearts together, draw our spirits together to continue to grow in our faith. Um, multiple opportunities for us to do that. You'll find them in your bulletin. Um, and this week at Myers Park, and we want to draw your attention to one that happens eight days um, from tonight. So it's 7 p.m. next Monday on January 29th, 7 p.m. here in the sanctuary, and there will be an overflow seating in the other locations. Um, Kate Bowler, New York Times bestseller, will be here with us having a conversation with James um, and just delving into some resiliency conversations and furthering how we grow together. So we hope that you will join us for that. Um, it's a great opportunity, again, to extend an invitation to a friend um, that might need to hear this message as well. And now let us continue this time of worship.
let us continue to sing those songs of praises as we unite our hearts together as we affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed, which can be found in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. unite our hearts and voices as we offer before God and one another our confession. Let us pray. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed, and grant us grace to grow into your likeness. Amen. Friends, hear the good news that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. The gospel reading is Mark chapter one, beginning with the 14th verse. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I was thinking all week, every time I hear uh, passage like this just containing the word Galilee, uh, I find myself uh, filled with a longing to return to that place that I love so much more than any other place on earth. I hope and pray I'll be able. I could go there, but I don't think a group of people would go with their grief over the ongoing news coming out of Gaza. Oh, it shows again, it's no simple right and wrong, it's how horrors beget horrors, uh, the idea of retaliation. It didn't begin on October the 7th, decades, conflict. 
And it really began with European arrogance over we'll settle all the other problems of the world and draw places, then anti-Semitism throughout all of history. It's just awful. It shows how fallen and broken our world is and how then we'll f we're faced with impossible choices. Jesus comes to such a world to try to redeem it, to try to give us some hope after 40 days in the wilderness. I love this. Jesus strides into the region of the Galilee. It's a beautiful lake. The countryside around it is lovely. There are little waterfront villages to this day, not that different from when Jesus uh, was there back in his day. Stone houses, uh, people scraped out a living as best they could. The biggest industry was fishing industry. They exported fish uh, toward other places in the world. And there are gray synagogues uh, built from the stone in the area where the people came and uh, they would come every week to the synagogue looking for some hope, looking for some blessing, probably like uh, you did today. You came here looking, why did you come here today? Looking for some hope, looking for some blessing. And Jesus strides into this region of the Galilee, and he talked a lot and did a great many things, but the Mark supplies this with sort of a digest of the content of his preaching, and it is, it's repent. And repent isn't apologize to God. Repent isn't feel like a schmuck for what you did. Repent is simply turning, changing your mind, getting serious about God, saying, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. Let's go. I'm sorry I haven't been all in, but I, I want to be all in. I want to get with it. I want to join this movement. I want to invest myself. Jesus walks into Galilee and says, it's time. I love that. It's time. Uh, the Greek word that Mark's use, Mark uses is a chronos, so like it's time. There's a clock up there to warn me if I'm preaching too long. It is now 8.44, according to the green clock. If it gets past 9, raise your hand talking too long. It's not that kind of time. It's not Kronos time. It's Kairos time. And that, that kind of time, it's not you know, like, what, what time is it? it it's uh, like, do you remember the, the time? Sometimes I reminisce with my old friends. Do you remember the time that we were in school together? Yeah. Well, it's not that it was 844 on October the 9th. It, it was a, a, t a special time. I think about the time I looked at Lisa, who's now my wife, and thought, she's the one. Like, I don't know what time it was or even what day it was, but there was a time when that came to be. There's a time when, uh, for so many of us, you look at your parents and you realize they're not the active, energetic people they once were. They are declining. My caring for them is going to change fundamentally. There's the time when the doctor says it, 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 it's cancer. There's the time I cherish it. I didn't think about it sufficiently at the time. Lisa's mom and her siblings were all together for dinner, and they laughed and told stories into the night. <laughs> I don't remember what day that was or exactly what time the dinner was, but that was a time that I wish I could return to. Jesus says it's time. It's time. He says this over and over, it's time, it's chronos, it is time. And over and over in the story, we read that whenever Jesus does something, people respond immediately, immediately. There's some urgency about Jesus. There's some urgency in the response to him. I remember um, I'd been pastor here about a year, and we did a long-range uh, strategic plan. Dal Bachnight, who's sitting here, guided it. I, I love this, by the way. Uh, at our first meeting, somebody asked Dal, I don't know if you remember this, Dow. Somebody asked him, how long will this process take? Dow said, well, if it was up to me, it'd take four years, and if it was up to James, it'd take about four days. It'll be somewhere in between, like I love that answer. In our strategic plan, we talked about things that we want to do, and some of it you see coming to fruition in this building that we're building, but I love the last note of that strategic plan. We use the word urgency. That, that's not the kind of thing that usually makes a strategic plan, that we will here have a sense of urgency, not forever postponing. I'm going to get involved someday. I'm going to volunteer for one of Nathan's projects someday. I'll come sing in the choir someday, I do, but it's now. It's time. It's time. It is time. I was watching the other day uh, some movie clips from the film Goodwill Hunting. 
that I love so much. And I love the closing scene. Uh, Chucky shows up to pick up Will to go to work, and Will doesn't answer the door. Then the camera pans to the home of the, his therapist, Sean, who told Will about the night that he met his, uh, the woman that became his wife. It was the night that Carlton Fisk hit that home run in Fenway Park so dramatic in the 1975 World Series. And Will was so excited that he had, the, his counselor had tickets to the series. And he, after he narrated the, the home run, he said, and you were there? He said, no, I didn't go there. I, was, I, I had to meet a girl. <laughs> So it was just something that's more urgent, and of course, at the end, Will gets the message, and he leaves the possibility of a great job to get in his car and drive to meet the girl, Skyler. It's time now. The disciples immediately put down their nets, and they follow Jesus. People immediately do things. Jesus immediately does things. How do we come to have that kind of urgency? I've been uh, struck lately uh, by a verse that's not in the text that Chris read to you. It's a little bit later in Mark 1, but I think it impinges on it very much in verse 34. Jesus says this, then Mark says this, and Jesus cast out many demons. And Jesus cast out many demons. I'm grateful that he cast out many demons. I thought about that. To say he came to a place that was thinly populated, but he cast out many demons. When you hear about that there were many demons, it says that there was so much suffering. There's always so much suffering. <laughs> and Jesus has so much compassion. But then I wonder if Jesus had the insight to want to cast out not just the demons, but that way of thinking. People in those days looked at people that were sick, people that weren't quite right, people that struggled, whatever, and they said they must be possessed by demons, which had to add to their suffering, right? That had to add to their suffering, and we think we wouldn't do such a thing. We do this all the time, my brothers and sisters. We don't believe everybody that we run into is possessed by demons, but there's something. When I was a little kid, the word we used was cooties. That's still a thing that kids still have Cooties, when I was growing up, you know, like, oh, Rebecca, she has cooties. Ah! I dreaded the day they would say, James has cooties. It happened. I'd say, I don't have cooties. Really, I don't. It's a terrible thing. What a horrible way to treat it. What is it that want, what is it in us that wants to say, she has cooties? The way it works for us grown-ups more often, right, is we see somebody who's struggling and we want to have compassion, but then we veer into pity. And we veer into pity, I think, out of our own discomfort or not being sure what to do, and then we resort to blaming. If somebody says, I have a child who's really struggling, we think, oh, but then inside we're thinking, you should have parented a little bit better. Somebody loses their job, and we say, oh, but then we think, yeah, maybe if you'd worked a little harder and had done a little better. We just do the blame thing. It's the same as saying they're cooties. It's the same as saying that there are demons. Jesus came <clears throat> to cast out, I believe, that way of thinking. In the emails that I send out twice a week, I, I, re I reported on this thing. Christian Wyman is a poet, theologian. I don't know what he is. He's great. And uh, he has a new book that's out, and in the book, he tells about, uh, it's so amazing, he has a dog named Mac, and he's had the dog Mac for a long time, big bulldog, and, and he took Mac to the vet for something that Mac was struggling with, and in the examination, the vet discovered, he said, your dog has a bullet in his torso. What? So Christy could only speculate that at some point somebody shot this dog. I mean, how cruel can you be? And the Mac had crawled off to die, but he didn't die. But he had to still feel the pain and the terror of having been shot by his owner. He'd never complained to Christian. And here's what Christian thinks about that. He says, there, as he writes about it, there's not one person reading these words. There is not a friend or family member from whom you feel utterly estranged. There is not even a man sitting in the White House, and you don't know when he wrote it, so you don't know who he's talking about, who does not have somewhere a bullet festering in them. 
There is not one person in this room or watching online who does not have a bullet festering in them. And then he adds this, I feel sure that there is some one pain to which every one of us is called to witness and perhaps ease. See how different that is from saying you got cooties or wondering what the person did wrong? Everybody's got something festering in them. That's why charlatans drive so crazily. It is. It's why people are rude to you in the grocery store. It's why you don't quite meet your own gaze in the mirror. I don't know what it is. It's all of those things. Here's the last thing. Jesus calls these disciples, and uh, they live in a town on the shore there where their fishing industry is located, a town called Bethsaida. For years when I would take groups to Israel, we would go to visit Bethsaida, and you could see where the stone houses were, and there were fishing hooks they found lying around on the floor, and that was really cool. We are visiting Bethsaida. You know, James, John, they lived in one of these houses. Wow. And that was amazing. Then archaeologists came along a few years ago and said, hmm, this may not be the right place. There's another location a couple miles away. That might actually be the real Bethsaida. And then, lo and behold, they found a third one. And I love this. The latest archaeologist commenting on, is it at El Mesidia? said, that's the least likely of the places. I think Jesus nods and says, you know, that's probably the one. <laughs> the least likely. I love that they don't know quite where it happened because that kind of implies it can happen anywhere. It might happen here and maybe in the least likely place. It's a little bit like uh, Caravaggio painted the moment when Jesus calls the disciples. It's one of his best paintings, the call of St. Matthew in this case. And Jesus has come into a room and he's holding out his hand like the Michelangelo uh, Sistine Chapel God creating. He's reaching out his hand, and he's pointing to some disciples who were gathered there, and he's calling one. And, and what happened is when Caravaggio was painting that, he needed some models. So he was in a studio, and he just went out in the street, and there were some guys loitering around, just kind of killing time. He said, come on in here. And they said, why? He said, well, I want you to pose for a painting. And they posed, and <laughs> we see them today. Like, I love that. Like, you're just messing around. But before you know it, Jesus has called you, and there you are. You're a disciple. And it's urgent. You do it now. You do it now. You go now. You got something festering in you, and you just got to respond now. You're tired of putting it off. You can't keep living this two-bit life, no matter how much fun it seems to be or how successful you're being. You realize you're called to follow Jesus. So in closing, I think I'd say this. If you're young, we're going to get the real young people at the 830 service, but some of you are young. If you're young, like, follow Jesus. you got your whole life in front of you. You're not all tied down yet. Follow Jesus. Do it. Go. Don't do what the world tells you to do. Go. Follow Jesus. If you are older and you think, mm, can't do that, I'm stuck, pry yourself loose. Pry yourself loose. Jesus wants you to follow, and he wants you to do it now, not to put it off. Someday I'll do that. Someday I'll get serious about that. If this is a season of suffering, for you. You better stick real close to Jesus because he's the one who will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. He walked all the way to the cross, but the grave couldn't contain him. You better stick close to that one if you're in a season of suffering. If the world bothers you, it kind of bothers me. It bothers everybody. If you're paying attention, the world's got to bother you. If you feel the dissonance, you have to ask the question that Martin Luther King asked during the Civil Rights Movement. He actually wrote a book to this effect, Why We Can't Wait. Why We Can't Wait. He kept talking about civil rights. People kept saying, we need to wait. We need to wait. We need to wait. And King was impatient. He said, we can't. We can't wait. Do we need one more shooting? Do we need one more mind waste? Do we need one more outbreak? All this that goes on, if you're weary of the world, let's stick close to Jesus and not wait. If you have a marriage, a friendship, whatever, that's a little bit of a struggle, the counsel that Jesus would give is you need to repent, and that's not grumbling over the mistakes that you've made. It, it's saying, like, let's get with God's program. 
Sometimes two people look at each other and they just have such a struggle trying to make peace and understand one another, but, but the, the solution isn't to look harder and try harder. Sometimes the solution is just to turn out together. Let's go out into the world and see if we can do something together. And lo and behold, the peace gets a little bit better. Uh, if you, uh, here's my next to last if. I thought about this the other day, I remembered something, had a lovely memory. If you got some money burning a hole in your pocket. I had Tony Campola come and preach for me when I was up in Davidson. He's just always, you know, he's like the Dick Vitale of Christianity, like way too much caffeine in this dude's system. And he's up there preaching, and, he, and this is in the early 90s, so you have to do the math. And he said, I mean, if you got some money, you got to think about it. He said, if Jesus has got $35,000 burning a hole in his pocket, does he go out and buy a BMW? You can see people kind of looking a little nervous. Somebody in my church walked out at that point. I thought he was like leaving because he was annoyed. No, he went out to the parking lot to count cars. <laughs> and he came back in. I forget what the number was. He said, at the benediction, he came up and whispered it to me. He said, we have, I forget the number, 23 BMWs out in our parking lot. <laughs> and then he added, and there were quite a few Lexuses also. <laughs> and they don't get off the hook. I'm trying to do the benediction. This dude's telling me this stuff. If you got money burning a hole in your pocket, what does it mean to follow Jesus? If you have some time, and that actually, actually is the thing that we all have. You have some time. God has given you the gift of some time. You feel like a victim of time, like, oh, it's just this albatross on me. I wish I had time. I don't have time. I've got to rush around. You've made some decisions. You continue to make some decisions. Every day you make decisions about what to do with your time. It's God's gift to you. It's for God. It's for finding who's got something festering. It's for discovering what's festering in you. And you hear Jesus say, it's time. It's time. And we want to be among those who immediately follow immediately and it's nine o'clock desire for us. Lord, in your mercy. We always make time for the things we value most, so we ask for your forgiveness for when we neglect to take time to love your words and love your world as you command us. Teach us, teach us your truth, and may we speak of your truth, not with harshness, but with mercy and joy. Discipline us in spaces of our rebellion and resistance. Forgive us for not recognizing hope in the midst of disappointments. And trust in your resurrection, even in the midst of our suffering. Lord, in your mercy. And we lament for your children who suffer, our sisters and brothers all around the world, seeking a new home and safety, safety from violence, people in our nation, in our neighborhoods, in need of food, shelter, refuge. So grant us vision for peace and justice near and far. Let us be drawn away from the comforts that blind us from pain and sickness around us. Let us be convicted of our calling in each of our lives to be agents of your goodness so that we may become the image of your love in your world and in our lives to become the change that we wish to see. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 
We pray for all of our friends, family, neighbors who grieve the loss of their loved ones who are mourning this day. We especially lift up the family and friends of Lawrence Michael Connolly. We give thanks for you have graciously received your servant into your eternal home. So trusting in your everlasting goodness, we are able to pray with confidence the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So teamwork makes perfect work. Uh, we're so grateful for one another, friends. It is through God's goodness and our collective generosity that makes all things possible, even mics that work. So uh, as the ushers come forward, let us receive our morning tithes and thanksgiving with hearts of gratitude.
Generous God, may the gifts that we offer today serve for your purposes in the church and in the world, for the sake of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Church family, I hope you sense a sense of immediacy within your heart, within your spirit, and that you have a willingness to say yes, that you have a willingness to acknowledge that call on your lives so that we might go out into this world for the sake of God, for the love of Jesus, and through the movement of the Holy Spirit. Go now in peace.
Testing, testing, one, two, three. Hey, 